PM board bombs. Dawn arises outside the emergency department. The windows twinkling with frost touched by the sun. The sun. While every other physician goes only where the sun shines, the ED physician covers an area relegated to outside the Bridelands. And humankind. In particular, they seem to make their home in the elephant graveyard. The particular waiting room is known to many for its unparalleled amount of check-ins. Many. In particular, a 47-year-old female with a past medical history of diabetes arrives at the ED with complaints of dysuria. She states this feels like a UTI to her. Little does she know of the threat of the hyenas outside. I mean E. coli. A gram-negative encapsulated bacilli, which is the most common culprit regardless of location along the urinary tract. This bacteria uses fimbrae to adhere to the host cell. The patient asks why she hears a narration voice over the loudspeaker, and you tell her not to worry about it. With her symptoms, normal vitals, and her UA showing bacteria and leukocytes, which of the following is the best treatment choice for this 47-year-old female with diabetes and four days of dysuria? Choice A, ciprofloxacin. Choice B, ceftriaxone, IV. Choice C, trimethoprim sulfamifloxacil. Choice D, cephalexin. Patusane, what's the correct answer? Look, I, the correct answer here is going to be cephalaxin. And I tried to say this in the same planet Earth themed <laughs> voice that you had. But I would just like our listeners to know that you said I was too country. I did not say that. I had too much of a southern accent to my voice. Which is ironic, really. I, I, yes. Yeah, anyway. Hey, let's talk about UTIs today. We'd also like to mention our EM rapidbombs.supercast.com podcast we have over 320 episodes now where we drop multiple podcast episodes a week they're a few minutes in length they go over high yield pearls a lot of folks like using them for studying but the cool thing is that we have folks from all over the world that are using it now it was crazy to see the recent geographic map and just to see all the different countries where we have subscribers that are listening into our premium podcast. These are residents to seasoned attendings, which is pretty awesome to see. And again, it's just a great way to get some of that drip learning and keeping up to date on EM news. Now, on to the rest of the pod. So anyway, UTIs are a broad group. They're a nebulous term. They comprise a broad group of infections. The, you know, the urethra, the prostate, the bladder, lower urinary tract, and of course, infections of the kidney and upper urinary tract, pyelonephritis. And when you separate these two hemispheres of the urinary tract, it's critical when discussing symptoms, complications, and management you know, of your antibiotic choice, right? So buckle up, because this is infections down under. 
Man, I'm loving this music. You know what a didgeridoo is, dude, right? What is that? A didgeridoo? You've heard of it. It's that. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Hey, are we are we going to be getting audio from James Cameron? Has he responded to any of our emails? No, but David Attenborough responded. Oh, he did. Yeah, I like David Amber responded. He said he would he would send over the files immediately, and then of course uh, Chris, yeah, right. our, our bud Chris, our bud Chris got yeah. back to us, and uh, Christopher Nolan. For those of you that don't know, we have a good relationship. Yeah, with. those who don't follow the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did what did Chris? Chris Christopher said he would say? send over Hans Zimmer's latest album, and we'll apply it. So you know, he works a lot no, with Hans, good. of course. You know, with his movies. No, I know. I mean, you know, he he's a huge fan of the pod. Yeah, which is really nice. Yeah, and he said he would send the pod to Hans Zimmer too to get some ideas from. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I love Hans. Hey, uh, he just hasn't responded to any of my, oh, you know. That seems tweets. to be a trend. Um, anyway, <laughs> hey, buckle up, because Iltfa and I have the qualifications to teach you about infections down under. So many references. Yeah, there's a detailed study guide on UTIs on the website. But for now, just know how common E. coli is. Yeah. <laughs> and how much of a problem resistance is. The rates of antibiotic resistance of uropathogens has been steadily increasing worldwide. In particular, we're seeing a lot more ESBL, carbapenem resistance. Some of the previously commonly used antibiotics, like superfloxacin and trimethoprim sulfamethoxazil, we're going to call that Bactrim from now on. We've received no sponsorships. We're just going to call it Bactrim. Let's call it Bactrim. They're a lot less effective now. And UTIs with resistance rates are approaching 30% in most regions, which should leave these antibiotics, the ciprofloxacin and Bactrim, as the fourth and fifth line options when you're considering treatment. And that's why choice A and C are wrong, because they mentioned giving those two antibiotics. Yeah, and let's, okay, let's get into that classic presentation, right, of a urinary tract infection. So classic symptoms for acute cystitis, we're talking about dysuria, urinary frequency, urgency, and sometimes suprapubic pain. I don't know, that one's always like plus or minus, but dysuria, urinary frequency, urgency. Hematuria can be seen, but it is rare as a presenting symptom. If a patient is over 65, the diagnosis is sometimes a bit harder. You know, these patients will have complaints of nocturia, incontinence, and just generally feeling weak. So remember, especially in those patients over 65, um, they'll present with some more nonspecific symptoms. Symptoms are probably the best tool we can use to isolate the location of a UTI within the urinary tract. So simple cystitis, will not have any systemic symptoms if it's just isolated to the bladder. Obviously, now when it, you know, these infections, they're ascending infections, right? When it's going beyond the bladder, now we're talking about pyelonephritis. Now you're going to be developing those systemic symptoms. That's going to be fever, chills, abdominal pain, altered mental status, fatigue, flank pain, CVA tenderness. By definition, pyelonephritis is a complex UTI or sometimes referred to as complicated UTI, which is kind of weird to me, the whole like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a complicated UTI yeah, know, versus right. complex, right? I don't know. It's, it's, it's good for billing, though. Anyway, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> complex UTI, and it's treated differently from the simple infection. And that's really important because here you need to know where your antibiotics work. So mm-hmm. macrobid, you know, that's not going to work for polynephritis because it only works in the ureters and it doesn't have good soft tissue penetration, right? So that's why it's important to know where that infection is. Absolutely. The most important piece of symptomatology is going to be the presence or absence of vaginal symptoms, which should, you know, then direct you to think about other infections. 
than just a simple urinary related infection. You know, the other thing is sometimes you'll hear this foul odor or cloudiness of the urine, you know, being used as one of the symptoms that can't really be used to rule in or rule out a UTI. Now, you know, if you're having frank pus from a catheter, sure. Okay. We've all seen that, right? But this isn't that. It's just chronic indwelling. (laughs) Right. In sexually active females, it's important to consider a pelvic exam if symptoms are not convincing for a UTI, so especially in the presence of a concerning um, you know, sexual history. And in males, acute prostatitis is often a great mimicker, and there really should be a low threshold for a rectal examination. And also, frankly, you're always, always in males, especially younger males, if they have cystitis, then you're getting a what, Blake? Uh, GC testing, STD testing. Uh, yeah, always, mm-hmm. no doubt. And frankly, you're going ahead in prophylactic treating that yeah, patient. exactly. Well. Hey, let's talk about complications. So if you have an episode of acute simple cystitis, while it's painful, it's often a relatively short-lived process. The majority of patients are going to do just fine. However, some complications can arise that may lead to some significant morbidity for some patients. So acute complicated UTI occurs whenever there is a UTI with the following features, which suggests the infection might be spreading into the upper urinary tract. You know, fever, chills, flank pain, CVA tenderness. Polynephritis is on the end spectrum here of acute complicated UTIs. All right, so who is at risk of complicated UTIs, including polynephritis? Anybody with an obstruction, of course. So BPH in males, renal stones, of course, any type of cancer, anatomic abnormalities. You know, in children, we worry about vesicular uterine reflux, right, or different types of valve issues, or just the fact that they're elderly, right, with poor urinary flow, those with diabetes, right, all that glucosuria, right? So all those are concerning. Now, patients with systemic symptoms, of course, can come in straight up bacteremic. They can be septic, multiple organ dysfunction, shock, even acute renal failure. This is the number two most common causes of bacteremia, number one being pneumonia in older people, number two being UTIs. So keep this on the short list of, you know, whenever someone comes in septic, you're obviously getting an x-ray if you don't know the source, and you're getting a UA. And one of those two is almost always positive, because that's just how it goes. Now, infection and inflammation of the kidney can lead to various renal abscesses, emphysematous polynephritis, and even papillary necrosis. Now, proteus infections in particular are concerning here, and they often occur with this staghorn calculi. For some reason, this is classic board stem. Proteus always likes to be mentioned with staghorn calculi, not to be confused with the staghorn fern native to Australia, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course, yes, naturally. Chris would be so proud of us. Anyway. <laughs> These struvite stones can obstruct the renal medulla and prevent outflow from the kidney and allow bacteria to climb up and cause infection. Hey, so what's our work up here? Let's keep it nice and simple for the majority of patients, right? Look, for all suspected simple UTI cases, only a urinalysis should be ordered. It's been shown that cultures do not change management in simple cystitis. So you really don't need to send cultures on uncomplicated UTIs. That said, your hospital might have a policy where you're sending off cultures on any urinalysis that's positive. We're just letting you know you don't need to do that. (laughs) But, but... You know, why waste resources, you know? <laughs> but just saying, do not send a urinalysis on a patient 
who has an indwelling folate. Oh my gosh, let me just repeat that one more time. Do not send a urinalysis on a patient who has an indwelling folate if you're not evaluating them for a UTI. Oh my gosh. So if they don't have symptoms concerning for UTI, they're you know, they don't have any other systemic symptoms, please don't send that urine unless you want to see it growing some crazy things. <laughs> if a foley's in long enough, it's going to colonize within the first few weeks to 30 days, and a culture is almost always going to be positive. The overtreatment of these patients is ultimately just going to lead to crazy amount of resistance and, frankly, just antibiotic-related complications. We've all taken care of that patient who has had C. diff for the gazillionth time, and they keep getting antibiotics for, quote, drug-resistant UTIs, and they keep coming back to the ER with these positive blood cultures. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And it takes a lot of education. It really does. So urine cultures, they're indicated if there's suspicion of a complicated UTI. So this is that patient who's pregnant, the male patient, the patient is a child, they're immunocompromised, or frankly, they're having you know systemic symptoms, right? So they're starting to develop pyelonephritis, or you're concerned about that, sure, send off your own cultures. Labs should be sent in complicated UTIs. If febrile or if there's systemic symptoms of infection, you can consider sending off blood cultures. You don't always have to do that. But again, you can consider setting blood cultures for those patients. Don't worry, the hospitals will anyway, so. <laughs> I know, I know. The All females of childbearing age should receive a pregnancy test. We built a table for each component of a UA, so you'll never feel like you're lost out there in the outback. So check out the study guide on our website. The most important components when diagnosing a UTI specifically are urine WBC, urine LUCs, and urine nitrates. The best accuracy is seen if there are fewer than five epithelial cells. So that's why they'll call that a dirty UA when you have multiple epithelials. You can see false positive WBCs in those with oliguria or dehydration. A urine WBC greater than five with appropriate symptoms is diagnostic. Pyuria is basically a universal finding. Its absence suggests an alternative diagnosis. And this is really important because they actually have like sensitivity specificities that you can find on a UA. What do you think the sensitivity is for nitrites? It's less than 50%. Yeah, Yeah, less than 50%. It's more specific than sensitive. Right, exactly. It's very... And the opposite is true of leukocytosterase. There you go, right? So abnormal leukocytosterase, you're talking about 70 to 97% sensitivity, Mm. whereas the specificity is around 41 to 86. Mm. That's why when I see like an isolated positive nitrite, um, because the patient's taking azo or, you know, because they're having hematuria... My resident saying, oh, you know, we need to treat this, or the med student saying we need to treat this. No, you know, hold your horses there, right? You really need to be checking the WBCs, abnormal leukesterase. That's what I care more about, as opposed to just having a positive nitrite. Awesome. Hey, so who gets a CT? This is important because, unfortunately, so many more people are doing CTs to look for palonephritis or whatever they're trying to do, or kidney stone, or just to confirm cystitis. We're seeing more and more CT diagnoses of cystitis, which blows my mind. 
that we're in that world now. And this, this should not be the case. I'm sorry. Radiology should not be diagnosing cystitis. Literally, the only reason we have this section is to say you shouldn't be doing a CT scan. Exactly right. So, so CT, abdomen, and pelvis without contrast, they can detect anatomic or physiologic factors associated with UTI. Yes. But is that warranted? No. Imaging is not warranted unless the following are present. Severe systemic symptoms, any persistent symptoms beyond 48 to 72 hours with microbial therapy, so, you know, a complication or failure to resolve with antibiotics, or suspected obstruction, you know, decreased urination, rising creatinine. And that's when you're worried about a stone or an abscess or something that's blocking that tube and preventing the antibiotic from really resolving the infection. That is not that common, though. Now, the CT can also show evidence of pallidonephritis, but one thing that really grinds my gears, and I see this too often, is people that get the CT scan, they say, CT's negative for pilo, they don't have pilo. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> a CT cannot definitively diagnose pallidonephritis, um, and especially without contrast, they're making that distinction, you know. Like, well, what's, what's frustrating so to me, too, is, is in the ED, it, for me, I think the CT should be reserved for that inpatient setting where maybe the patient isn't responding to antibiotics the way you thought they would. Yes. Or now the patient has developed these colicky symptoms and you're worried about, you know, uh, urolithiasis. Right. I mean, in my book, the only reason I would get a CT scan would be if the patient has any, or if I have any suspicion for urolithiasis on that patient. And I think that's the source of the infection because then I know from an acute setting, I'm going to be doing something that's going to change their care, such as getting urology involved. But if I don't suspect that, really, CT should be reserved for the inpatient setting for a patient who's not responding to antibiotic therapy. Right. Let's wrap up the treatment here and, and get out of here. So the overwhelming majority of cases can be managed as outpatients. In fact, many resolve on their own, actually. And there's a lot of debate about how often antibiotics are needed, but we're past that. <laughs> we're going to talk about antibiotics. Yeah. The indications yeah. for admission would be... Wait, so you're telling me that UTIs have existed for thousands of years and humankind has... Okay. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, the indications for admission would be inability to tolerate liquids, of course, or medications. If a patient is presenting as a complicated UTI, you know, warranting IV antibiotics, they've failed outpatient antibiotics, you know, the, the typical things you would see, just like pneumonia, pretty much. Choosing an antibiotic regimen for uncomplicated UTIs can ironically be complicated. It doesn't have to be, though. First, you should routinely surf the patient's medical chart in prior urine cultures. I do this every single time. I look every single time in their chart. Even if they're young, you'd be shocked to see they've been treated for something in the past. Most commonly, repeat infections are caused by the same organism. Reviewing the sensitivities and specificities using your local antibiogram can help guide antibiotic therapy. This sounds nerdy, but it's the right thing to do for the patient. You're going to save a lot of headache, and you're being a really good antibiotic steward. And, and let's be clear about this. The recommendations that we're going to give, your local antibiogram that your hospital puts out and almost every hospital puts out. And if your hospital doesn't find the closest academic center, because they're certainly putting it out, that trumps any recommendations that we have yes. when it comes to antibiotic therapy in the real world setting. For yep. you. We're just giving general racks that are pretty consistent, I would say, where you're going to practice, but exactly. he's exactly right. So for uncomplicated UTI, nitrofurantoin is an excellent choice. For uncomplicated. For uncomplicated. Let's repeat that. Because, yeah. again, it works in the ureters. There are. Yeah, no, it works in the ureters. Yes, we know this. Right. We know this. We know this. Um, five to seven day therapy, a solid choice for uncomplicated simple cystitis. You should never give it to anyone with a fever or pyonephritis. Correct. What about phosphomycin? Ooh, bougie. Bougie antibiotic. Expensive, but it's one-time dose in the ED. 
Right. And you might see a new regimen where it's you actually prescribe two doses and you take it every 48 hours. But again, traditionally, one time dose in the ED, it works great, especially for drug resistant E. coli. It's a fantastic antibiotic. Mm -hmm. Cephalosporins, increasingly the best option in the ED for uncomplicated and complicated UTIs. I see these very commonly given cephalexin or ceftonir five to seven days. Those are the two most commonly prescribed that I've personally seen in multiple locations. Try to stay away from fluoroquinolones. They work in some patients, but really are too valuable for other sick patients with many resistant organisms. The other thing to be wary about fluoroquinolones or what, especially in young folks, Blake? Uh, tendon rupture. Yeah. Dissection. Just, exactly. Some, <laughs> I don't know dissection. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, you know, probably suboptimal <laughs> to give that Division One athlete a fluoroquinolone for their UTI. There's a lot of things wrong with fluoroquinolones. Yeah, yeah. Also, try to avoid Bactrim. We mentioned Bactrim earlier, but higher rates of resistance plus many potential side effects of this sulfa drug in some populations. Hey, polynephritis treatment. Inpatient is going to be ceftriaxone or zosin if you're thinking about pseudomonas or, you know, their hypotensive septic shock kind of patient. And then outpatient polynephritis, cephalexin, ceftonir, augmentin is a, a fun one to give for 10-day therapy. Augmentin, of course, being amoxicillin clavironic acid. We're not sponsored by Augmentin, by the way. We just say the brand name. No. Well, not yet. We're not sponsored yeah. by them. Yet. We're open to suggestions, open to options here. Single and ready to mingle. <laughs> oh, man. We did. We, we, you know, we have gotten some sponsorship opportunities, and mm -hmm. those emails are always pretty hilarious. Yeah, we turn them down. Like, we say we're for the people, by the people. No, we just give the people what they want. Thanks, though. We just look at our podcast. That's all we are. Yeah. And that's it for today's podcast. Um, I know we went through some really just fascinating content today. Hey, look, in all fairness, uh, this might not have been the most sexy podcast that we've done before, Dr. Briggs, but I think it's important. There's some high yield pearls that we went through for folks, right? I mean, really, you know, distinguishing what type of a quote UTI the patient has some of the key antibiotic stewardship that we mentioned please don't order those CT scans and hey staghorn calculus what is the bacteria proteus there you go remember to sign up for emrapidbomb.supercast.com and on that note, see you next time